my husband is away this weekend. I've been like lecturing thin air a lot. Welcome to the podcast at Dawn's House, because what the world needs most right now is a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. I'm Esther. I'm Karen. And I'm Aoife. And today we're talking about Babysitter's Club book number 29, Mallory and the Mystery Diary. Um, so I did not read this one as a kid. Uh, did either of you guys? Nope. I think so. But I'm surprised I didn't read it more, to be honest, because uh, like on paper, this is really my speed. <laughs> um, and bits of it were familiar. Um, like one or two bits, but I think if I read it, it was only a couple of times at most. Okay. Um, there's, yeah, there's one or two scenes. The seance, I think, is where I heard about seances. I think that's the origins <laughs> of that, so, yeah. Yeah, I think if I had read it, I would definitely have remembered the seance. Um, mm, yes. This, this <laughs> book, yeah, would have been extremely my jam as well. I think if I had read it, I would have remembered the literacy tutoring. Yes. Like extremely well and clearly that would have been my job. Yes, it would. It absolutely would. Oh, I also I remember the trunk. Um and the uh I specifically I think remember the Pike's uh triplets uh suggestions for how to get it open. That really stuck with me for some reason. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fun scene. (laughs) Lengthy suspenseful scene. Several chapters of Everybody wanting to get the trunk open. <laughs> and yeah. Mallory refusing to let them break it open. Yeah, they really milked that. All right. Um, before we get into it, uh, let's have a quick look at the covers. Uh, our American cover, as always, is competently painted. Yeah, it's fine. It's totally yeah. fine. It's Ooh. grand. Mallory's on the cover. She's tutoring Buddy Barrett. Everything's fine. It's great. The actual trunk, the mystery trunk is just at the bottom of the picture. Oh yeah. And oh. there's a horse picture at the back yes. of the room. The attention to detail. Haja Swallow is like, we don't deserve him and we didn't get him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a mix of both kinds of covers. So yes, I had yeah. 50% Haja Swallow. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Britain and Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> we had a... Uh... Somebody else. I think the word is haggard. Valerie looks, she looks like she she doesn't have that prematurely aged thing that Christy had on the early covers, but she looks like she's been through some stuff. Mm -hmm. She looks like she hasn't slept. She's, her face looks bloodless. Yes. She's pale. She has gentle bags under her eyes. Her lips are also like devoid of colour. They could have just put her lips a bit pinker and the whole picture would be better. It's not helped by the fact that she's wearing a like... The beigest t-shirt. A very, very pale pink t-shirt. I think it looks like she slept in it. Yes. And she's actually, she just looks like someone who's super depressed and has not had the energy to get dressed. Yeah, her eyes are barely open. Her hair is all over the place. The way she's reading the book and the way she's holding it suggests that um, she has reluctantly decided to... It's it's something that she doesn't want to read. She looks like she's reading about her own death. A little bit. Yes. 
yes, this book has been in the corner of her room. She knows it contains the story of her death. <laughs> and she has resisted the urge yeah. for weeks, despite it keeping her awake all night. But she just can't hold out any longer. Yes, and she has like <laughs> she's stayed up for 48 hours and she's finally picked up the book and is going to discover um, that her uh, she will be... Uh, Trampled by a horse. <laughs> I thought this was going to be something related to like pike triplets and spying, but no, I think trampled by a horse is probably it. And she's really unimpressed at the notion. <laughs> I finally get to ride a horse. That's <laughs> badly. And her glasses are um, they're Deirdre glasses. If if you're, you know, from Britain and Ireland, you probably know what Deirdre glasses are, and these are Deirdre glasses. Deirdre Barlow glasses for sure, yeah. but they're also like badly painted, so they're not quite at the right angle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it it just is terrible. Deirdre Barlow glasses were those big kind of slightly rounded glasses from the 80s that are just massively oversized frames are far too big for her face, like bigger than was fashionable at the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know why she's borrowed someone else much larger's glasses, but apparently <laughs> she has. Um, and they're also with like thick plastic frames. and They're also painted at a stupid angle. So yeah, yeah, they could if they were black, it would kind of be a look. Like an anachronistic one, but it, it, they're pale pink as well and falling off her face and just everything is just kind of fever dreamish. It's, it's just, she looks like she's on a pamphlet about antidepressants and you. Um, like, I was going to do they not make the people on those pamphlets look a little less depressed? <laughs> but she looks like the before picture. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> she does. Um... Yeah, if you saw this book cover as a young tween, I don't, I can't imagine any child would see this and think, I want to read this story. I want to find out more about this character and see what brought her to this point. Like, she doesn't look like an 11 year old eagerly engaged in solving a mystery. She looks like a like college student who is very depressed. <laughs> like, that's what she looks like. Yes. I have to say, though, those glasses that come down really far in your face, I'm kind of glad they're coming back because I really miss when I had glasses like that, that I could just scrunch my face up and push them higher up my nose with my cheeks. (laughs) I really got annoyed when I got a pair of like more fashionable glasses after the styles had changed. I couldn't do that anymore. And every pair of glasses I've had since I've tested and I'm nearly there with these. <laughs> They're gradually getting bigger and bigger. Well, at least Mallory has that going for her. She can probably move those glasses with her cheeks. I actually think they they come too far down. <laughs> they they almost come to the bottom of her nose. Like they're almost as long as her actual nose. They're bad. They're heroically bad. So yeah, the covers are absolutely after some disappointingly competently executed covers. This is a bad cover. We are we're back in bad cover territory. I'm flicking back and forth between UK and American one and it's like it's hilarious because it kind of is recognisably the same person but one of them is so much healthier. <laughs> yes! Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, American Mallory has like a skin colour. Yeah. And her hair has shine to it and she's wearing colours. Yeah. It's she's this is her before she took up the incredibly ill-advised engineering course or whatever it is that she's desperately trying to study in the previous book and going no why did I do this I want to be a children's book author (laughs) (laughs) that 
that's it. Yeah, she looks like she's given up on her dreams and there's been no payoff. Yes. Yeah. I never wanted to do an MBA. <laughs> Why am I here? <laughs> no, stick to your dreams, Mallory. <laughs> Please, your, fa- your face is bumming us yeah. out. No, Stacy will do an MBA. Stacy will be delighted to do an MBA, though. That's yes. the difference. <laughs> yeah. Stacy was born to do an MBA. An embezzling. <laughs> yes. Obviously. Christy won't do an MBA, but she will end up running the business that Stacy ends up in a uh, senior position in after her MBA. Uh-oh. <laughs> there would be tension because Stacy knows the theory and Christy just leads with her heart. But that's okay. It works out for Christy. I mean, if she can run a babysitter's club. Exactly. She can run a Fortune 500 company, right? <laughs> Somebody write us this fanfic. This isn't a fanfic. This is a gritty HBO drama about <laughs> crime, guys. <laughs> you remember what Stacy does when she's put in charge of money. <laughs> mm. uh, but I would watch it. Yeah, definitely. You'd watch the hell out of it. Um, all right. So, Aoife, do you want to give us a one-sentence summary of this? You look... It's actually quite hard to do one sentence summary of. Like, this book has a plot. I'll give you two sentences, because this has quite a lot of plot. Yeah, oh, who? okay. <laughs> um, there's an old diary in Stacy's house, and it turns out that there's some hidden Stony Brook history there. And uh, Mallory just sort of, as an 11-year-old, independently figures out some um, teaching methodologies uh, for and uh, uh, encourages Buddy to uh, read. Yep. <laughs> and it works super fast. <laughs> so fast. Show him a comic. Yes. Boom, reading like 100-year-old cursive. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> All he needed was motivation. Yeah, so... I mean, I enjoyed that part, but... My my uh, <laughs> disbelief could only suspend so far. Really, <laughs> it it was it was implausible, but like feel good. <laughs> it was it was enjoyable yeah. and satisfying to read as long as you didn't <laughs> think about it too hard. Yeah. So my headcanon for this, okay, is you know the way in the last book, uh, it was ghost written, mm-hmm. and. We had that whole thing about how the only reason Stacy and her mom could afford that house was because uh, the pipe triplets were so annoying that they'd driven all the neighbours away. Yes, the house was mysteriously cheap and the only reason we could think of was the triplets were that bad. (laughs) Uh, My theory is that Anne was not impressed by this at all and was like, justice for the pipe triplets, the house is just haunted, that's all. That's why everyone keeps moving away. I think the Pike Triplets thing was just our headcanon. It's not actually supported by the text at all. I think it's kind of loosely implied in the text. It's implied that there's some reason people don't want to live there. There is. It is implied there's some reason people don't want to. And there is, I think, I don't think anyone even mentions that the spying. Um, They just go, oh yeah, there used to be people living there. I remember that. (laughs) and that was it I thought there was a reference to like weird French people or weird foreign people (laughs) who were hounded out by I think what it actually was was that was deliberately inserted there to set this book up Hmm. I mean that's also a possibility we were meant to be going hey why that's that's left unexplained why was the house so cheap that's weird (laughs) <laughs> and instead we went, obviously, the pikes are just that obnoxious. <laughs> it's funny because there's literally no example 
whatsoever in the book of um evidence that the house is actually haunted yeah this is not a ghost a real book yeah no she didn't um like and it would have been very easy to have like creepy noises or creaks or whatever like and this house seems to be entirely ghost free despite being old or yeah. else like <laughs> stacy is a lot less sus- <laughs> suggestible than dawn <laughs> yeah maybe she's just not paying attention Probably not. that's true i wonder is it yeah actually it's never really satisfactorily explained then I thought in this one there was something about it. No, there wasn't though. No. Yeah. There's definitely somebody infers, oh, maybe it's haunted by the ghost. Mallory does, it does kind of go, maybe that's why it was so cheap if it's haunted. But also it didn't act haunted. Yeah. Yeah. She just headcanons it. She, she has no more evidence for her theory than we have for our theory. I think it's we true. have more evidence for I our think theory. we have more evidence for our theory, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because it is canon that the pie triplets are a pain in the ass. Even that little house just has woodworm. I can see, like, Mallory not putting two and two together about, like, she's well aware that her siblings are annoying, but she's also just so used to it. <laughs> yes. Like, that, I mean, I am firmly convinced that the French people with the photocopier. Um, who are being spied on 24-7 by Pike children, definitely moved out for that reason. And yes. I don't think anybody else who was paying attention to these books and sequence yeah. <laughs> believe otherwise. No, definitely. Oh. So, all right, we, we open with Mallory explaining to us the difference between a journal and a diary, because you got to establish the themes of the novel, and the themes of the novel is diaries. <laughs> so she's angstily writing in her diary about how if only I were 13 instead of 11 life would be a picnic Uh, (laughs) oh Mallory (laughs) oh dear she hates her nose Uh, her parents won't let her get contacts blah 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 she's on her bullshit also yes diaries then (laughs) her mom wants her to bring a casserole over to the McGill's so while she waits for the casserole to cool, she zones out and thinks to us about the Babysitter's Club. I'm using the Babysitter's Club and how the Babysitter's Club works. Yes. She's delightfully like self-aware about the fact that she's doing a montage. Yes. I thought this was a very interesting piece of information because for the first time we learn exactly how long it takes for <laughs> chapter two to be inner monologue. Yes. <laughs> it's 50. Fifteen minutes or <laughs> yeah. long enough for a tuna casserole to cool. Yes, exactly yes. that. It's not fully cool, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> you still need oven gloves. That is a long time to be staring into space, thinking about Christy Thomas's like family structure. Yes. <laughs> well, in fairness, Christy Thomas's family structure is very complex, so it does take a while to monologue through the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, that's usually what I do, Karen. When I'm like waiting for food to cool, I think about the fact that you lived in Australia and then you lived in Hong Kong and then you moved to Ireland. (laughs) I don't even do that. (laughs) I specifically devote uh, those sort of minutes to um, thinking about my friend's dress sense, ethnicity, educational attainments, you know. And whether their ears are pierced. (laughs) Most importantly of all, I literally don't know if either of your ears are pierced. I cannot visualise anybody I know's ears. Well, you mostly only ever see us with headphones on. (laughs) We've met in person. We have, but we don't meet in person a lot. Do you also think about how the podcast is run? Whose idea the podcast was and how often we meet to podcast? 
Yes, I often think about it, and I think that actually um, the It Came to Esther in a Dream uh, origin story is far better than the Eating Cold Gloppy Pepperoni origin story, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, that's true, actually. Well, thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> now, okay, I will sometimes zone out and have, like, arguments in my head with people. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. or I'll, like, re-explain certain things that are like complicated but interesting do you ever do this when you're like yeah oh, yeah. Oh, yeah yeah and you're like okay well here's the thing right guys that i'm talking to people in my head who are a captive audience and can't yes. tell me to stop or change the subject exactly. <laughs> all the time my husband is away this weekend i've been like oh, no. lecturing thin air a lot <laughs> oh man so yeah, once once Mallory has thought through all of this and the casserole is cool enough to carry, she goes around to Stacy's. Oh yes, she speculates on how if there weren't so many trees in the way, you could see uh, from the Pike House right into Stacy's windows, but she can't because of the trees. But maybe when it's winter, she'll be able to stare in the windows, um, just like her brothers probably did. Um, yeah, and drove the neighbors away. Stacy should get some blinds. Definitely. <laughs> Oh, I forgot to say, also in this chapter when Mallory was writing in the diary, I could not help but note the fact that she was like, it feels like I've been 11 for so long. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh dear. I have some bad news for you about being 11, Mallory. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Wow, a bit of um, self-awareness from yeah. a character in Stony Brook. <laughs> like, yeah. No, even she can tell. Yeah, God, she knows she's been 11 for too long and she knows that she's having a, like, info dump exposition monologue in her head. I think, yeah. practically come to life. Mallory is the person most likely to see through the fourth wall. Yes. In Brook. I mean, the only sort of redeeming feature for her, the only consolation for her really is going to be that she thinks 13 would be better, but it is not. Yeah. No. It is not better than 11. No, it's so much worse. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah. Enjoy being eleven. Though I think a lot of her eleven-year-old concerns were my thirteen-year-old concerns. I suppose. Yeah, she's just getting a head start on the teen angst. Yeah, I don't know necessarily what my eleven-year-old concerns were, but I <laughs> segue. I do have some uh, documentary evidence of my twelve and early thirteen-year-old concerns. Oh my god! Yes, I'm so excited for that. <laughs> Uh, listeners we have we have multimedia content on the way it's amazing okay so my mom um was there's some stuff at my parents house that I abandoned there when I moved out and she found a bunch of my old diaries um including one that I wrote when I was 12 and I just uh, moved to Ireland from Hong Kong and we weren't even sure whether we were staying here or not so she um she was like oh look what I found and so this diary it turns out I had actually I remembered that I had written it in code for reasons that I, I think I thought I was going to put stuff in there that was much more sensitive than it actually was. <laughs> um, so I created this alphabetical code um, and I, I, so she gave this to me uh, the other day and I was like, wow, this is cool. Okay. I wonder if I can still um, decode it. Uh, and then I was like thinking about it and going, God, you know, yeah, I was pretty like, I was pretty pissed off at this point in time. I feel a bit sorry for 12 year old me. Cause I was like really in this, space between kind of being in one country and moving to the next I didn't know what was happening and yeah it's probably pretty like you know it's probably pretty sad and stuff Um, and then uh, I was like well actually it turns out so there's um I wasn't sure if I could decode it but then there is I turned to the back page 
there was a key in there with the code. I'm like, oh, that's great. Uh, and then I lost all sympathy for poor 12-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> because 12-year-old me was a Machiavellian little bitch. <laughs> oh, wow. Who oh, put wow. uh, the code in all wrong. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I was like, who, who was I even trying to fool? Nobody... <laughs> In the intervening 25 years, as far as I know, attempted to decode my diary. So all this did was inconvenience 36-year-old me. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. Are we going to talk about uh, our, our our teenage texts or will we keep that for like the very special? <laughs> I, I was thinking we could do it at the end, maybe. Yeah, let's do Is that. Is that all right? End. Yes. Um, so yes, it, it will be a bonus diary content <laughs> at the end of the episode. Yeah, but I've related real hard to Sophie in this. <laughs> yes, we we have not heard these dire extracts. We're very very excited for them. Cannot <laughs> wait. Yes, at the McGill's house, Stacy is still fucking salty about having to collect cardboard boxes back in New York. Yeah, uh, she's still complaining about the lady at the corner shop. <laughs> <laughs> we are so over it. Um, <laughs> She's scared to go in the attic because uh, there might be boogeymen and they didn't have boogeymen in New York, <laughs> which is an interesting take on, you know, the fact that New York is a murder factory, according to Don. <laughs> they didn't need boogeymen. They just had people who would actually kill you. They just had New Yorkers. <laughs> so they go up to the attic and there's a bunch of old stuff in the attic, um, like hilariously generic attic stuff oh my god it's so generic yeah <laughs> a rocking chair a brass bedstead stacks of old magazines a bird cage a box of books a big old-timey radio and a huge trunk um it is absolutely stock attic crap yes it's well it's kind of picturesque attic crap yeah as well like shouldn't there be a dressmaker's dummy <laughs> oh yeah a dressmaker's dummy or like like a stack of like Microsoft manuals from 1991. <laughs> you know, things that are terrible, that no antique store will ever take, that are not haunted. They're just, they should be in the bin. <laughs> when I moved in here, um, our attic contained a box of old books, but among the old books was um, a computer science textbook, <laughs> which contained the words information superhighway. <laughs> and I bet they weren't even ironic. No, no, they weren't. It was like, you know, you may have heard of this new thing called the World, World Wide Web. We need to explain the information superhighway to you. <laughs> I'm sure most of the actual basic networking information was still perfectly good these days, but um, yeah. Their terminology was on the wrong side of history. Janine probably had a copy of that exact book. Oh, probably. <laughs> so, yes, they find a big trunk and... M Mallory is very taken with it but the McGills don't want it so in fact Stacy makes a big deal out of saying god we could fit so many more cardboard boxes up here if we got rid of this antique trunk <laughs> yes because yeah. I'm never collecting another box for you again mother exactly like how valuable are cardboard boxes in New York I don't picture them as being like no no it's not how valuable are cardboard boxes it's how much does Stacy value her labour <laughs> okay all right yeah, no, yeah. okay, I'm convinced. <laughs> she refuses to ever do the humiliation of asking for spare boxes again. So her mother yeah. just has to keep the boxes. I actually have a whole stash of boxes in my attic for the basically the same reason. <laughs> these boxes are our family's legacy. We're bringing these boxes with us every time we move forever. 
We had some boxes that we loaned to some friends of ours who bought a house here and moved into it uh, about a year ago that we bought from Argos Mm. when we left um, to move into Cable Street. Wow. So what year is that? Two. Oh no, but it's four house moves. Um, 2009? Yeah, 2009. Well, I mean, you actually bought those boxes, like fancy people. That's... I'd keep them too if I'd paid good money. I have some of those Argos boxes as well. They were expensive. <laughs> I got very good at sneaking in the backs of shops and like picking them off the recycling pile around the back. This feels so unlike you. <laughs> like well, They're just throwing them out. It's not stealing <laughs> if it's like technically rubbish. No, it's true. I'm like, hmm, I should start doing that. Yeah, it was a skill I was quite proud of by the time we actually moved. I got I got a lot of boxes that way. I hate moving house so much. I think this is why I keep the boxes. I'm just not doing any of this shit again. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Like one more job that's already done and I don't need to do next time. Yeah, it's fair. Sorry, we were we were in the attic, which is the generic junk shop attic. Yes, it is it is a generic like stock photo of an attic, basically. <laughs> So Mallory gets the triplets over and because the triplets, like, even though they're eight, just do all the man work in the pike house. I was about to say, in terms of like what the triplets do in this book, they are certain basically fulfill the same role as the man in a like Victorian novel. Yeah. Ah. They do lifting, they own tools. <laughs> yeah. They're they're the men. And then Oh, we need to move the trunk. The man will move it. I mean also Mallory and Stacy and Claudia together would probably be better at heavy lifting than three ten-year-olds, even if the ten-year-olds were boys. But My theory in it is that they didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's fair. I think that's legit. And that they were like, hang on, we have like a bunch of idiots who'll do the manual labour for us for nothing for the sheer novelty value of it. That's a point. So they got the triplets to do it. I think Mallory has very cleverly come up with a way to harness the power of toxic masculinity. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Right. You're going to be a bunch of dick bags. You can lift heavy objects for me and I'll pay you a very small amount of money for it. <laughs> I will respect you as men for doing it. They're like, yeah, cool. Uh. <laughs> yes. I do have a horrible feeling that this was in fact Anna Martin doing that whole the teacher comes into the classroom and says, I need some big strong boys to help me carry tables. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Possibly, yes. Big strong ten year old boys. Well yeah, they'd be coming into like fifth class, so yeah, fourth <laughs> class, so yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, yeah, so the twins are being manly. Uh, they want to break the locks on the trunk, but Mallory um, likes the trunk and she doesn't want them to damage it. So mm-hmm. Adam suggests picking the lock with bobby pins, um, but yes. they can't get that working. <laughs> Byron suggests picking the lock with a credit card like in movies. Uh, and his brothers are like, it only works on house doors. Vanessa suggests a coat hanger, which the triplets are really dismissive of because coat hangers are for getting into your own car when you've locked yourself out, which is hilariously naive. That's not what coat hangers are for. (laughs) They're for stealing someone else's car. I mean, I've only (laughs) used them for getting into, seeing them used for someone getting into their own car. Yeah, but famously they're for stealing cars and they're (laughs) getting into your own car is kind of a secondary use. Well, the lived experience most of us will have had of this working is getting into your own car. 
where the keys have been locked inside it. Well, these guys are 10. I don't think they have any lived experience of it either. No, but like it happening to their dad or something. It's been so long since that actually worked. Well, yes. um, That I think very few people have seen it. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. The reason they changed car locks so that you can't do that with a coat hanger anymore was not to stop people letting themselves into their own cars. No, it's... it's, Okay, that's good luck. It's to stop people (laughs) from breaking in with a coat hanger. Checkmate. It's true. So they abandon the plan to get into the trunk because they can't figure out how to open it. So um, Mallory goes to a club meeting, thinks some more about the structure of the club. Admits that everyone except her and Christy hate writing in the notebook. Mallory likes it because she likes writing and Christy has to like it because she invented the notebook, which is hilarious. I I highlighted that as well. It's so funny. Yes. <laughs> Christy will not admit to not enjoying writing in the notebook. <laughs> no. The, the notebook is unassailable. Um. So Mallory tells them about the trunk. Um, they haven't haven't been able to pick the lock. Christy suggests that they try dynamite. They all laugh an inordinate amount <laughs> for a mildly amusing quip. Like at the end of the chapter, they're still thinking about it and laughing. Yes. And every time Mallory thinks about it again, she wants to start giggling again. Like these girls need some more excitement in their lives. I think they need to go to a slapstick festival. <laughs> I was about to say that. I do remember. Um, having jokes like that where it was just the hilarity of everybody laughing at it but i mean it's better if you're not supposed to be laughing well mm. yes but i guess i suppose well it's a meeting christy wants them to be business like they're not supposed to be laughing but she, made the, she made the joke oh interesting psychodynamics going on here oh my god she's playing mind games with them <laughs> Sometimes the things that you thought were unbelievably funny at that point in time, you look back at it and go, hmm, okay. (laughs) No, that's true. When we were thinking about stuff we wrote as teenagers that we could read on the show, I remembered that story that you and me wrote, Karen. We wrote this like seven page story that was just seven densely packed pages of in-jokes strung together into a narrative. And I remember that. To us at the time, it was the absolute funniest thing we had ever seen. And if we read it now, we would laugh our heads off at it and it would be absolutely insufferable to anybody else. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Oh God, it would be like, you know, the way people like find their old MySpace pages and die, it would be that, except in documentary form. Yeah, (laughs) it would be like pure, concentrated, uncut that. Juvenilia is what this is politely <laughs> oh, called. No. I, I, I've, <laughs> I've written stuff like that, except it was like we all go to the Star Wars universe fanfic. <laughs> like, I wrote that, but worse, for sure. <laughs> yeah, this was a fanfic nice. about a boring field trip that we took to a nature interpretive center, only it was spiced up with just every in joke we had ever had. I think, to be honest, like it that made the field trip much more fun. I remember that field trip being quite good crack, even though, yes, on paper it was the most unbelievably boring thing you could you could do. There, there was a long slide presentation on how sand dunes are formed. Oh. There was definitely like several cabinets of preserved bats. Yes, <laughs> like, taxidermy bats. We also went on a bus trip to a location that I think was about 10 minutes away from our school. 
Yeah, it was a very low budget field trip. <laughs> it was great. I don't know why we're having so much trouble focusing on this book. This book was fun. We liked this book. Really, that's why. The bad <laughs> books are easier because we want to moan about them. That's true. When we get really pissed off at a book, we get real focused on it. Laser focused. All right. Don goes around to the Barretts. Um, Buddy is in a cranky mood. Mrs. Barrett is mad at him because he got a note home saying that his reading isn't good enough. Mrs. Barrett is stressed out because she's a modern single mom. Um, she's she's working at home in the mornings and in the office in the afternoons and evenings, which in fairness sounds pretty intense. Mm. And she doesn't have time to tutor Buddy with his reading as well. Uh, she rants about all of this to Dawn because uh, she has learned nothing. <laughs> hmm. uh, this is this is not Dawn's problem. Um. Don tries to sit down and help uh, Buddy with some reading, but he's struggling. And then uh, Susie pops up and shows how much better she is at reading than him, uh, which unsurprisingly doesn't make Buddy feel great. And mm-hmm. the whole thing fails. But she thinks about it some more and suggests that Mrs. Barrett hire a second babysitter to tutor Buddy with reading, which is, you know, on the one hand, a sensible solution and on the other hand just hilarious upselling from the babysitters club <laughs> yes i've decided this is a service we now offer i know christy's going to be cool with it also your child is having trouble reading why don't you try an untrained 11 year old <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i'm sure someone three years older than him will have the perfect grasp of teaching children to read i mean it turns out she does she's a lot better at it than some kishis i could mention <laughs> oh the kishis need to read this book <laughs> yeah the kishis come off so badly compared to Ma- mallory in this book listen nobody give the kishis the notion of sending mallory round to tutor claudia because there will be fisticuffs <laughs> mallory and claudia do not like each other <laughs> i actually noticed later in this book claudia always comes off as actually stupid when Mallory uh, in Mallory books Mallory thinks very little of Claudia and Claudia was a bitch to her Mm -hmm. when she was joining the club interesting I I and I I honestly think that the Mallory just genuinely even I think if Claudia hadn't been a bitch to her like Mallory just thinks Claudia's thick yeah possibly more than the the 13 year olds she's like yeah she doesn't see that Claudia has non-book smarts yeah, yeah, yeah. Mallory's a bit intense and a bit obsessive, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, she's quite judgy as well. Yeah. Um, as a, like, I liked her a lot more when I was younger. <laughs> Me too. Maybe I have chilled out a bit. <laughs> I liked all of them a lot more when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. When you're like, you're just like, they're such cool girls, and now you're like, they're people with some serious foibles going on. <laughs> they're very petty sometimes. <laughs> About once every seven books, they all just lose the run of themselves. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I really identified with Mallory as a kid, Mm. and I'm not enjoying that, (laughs) revisiting that. (laughs) Um, So she goes home. Um, It's a few days later. They still haven't got the trunk open. Vanessa uh, then goes nuclear and threatens that if they don't bust the trunk open somehow she's going to start speaking in rhymes again I love that Vanessa has just been so inspired by the mysterious trunk um, that she has like gone on an absolute poetry bender and is surrounded by piles of papers and is muttering lines all the time and has this like 
she's she, yeah she's she's basically t- t- uh, told Mallory that like there's to be no more of this like, <laughs> yes she has to know what is in the trunk if Mallory does not open that trunk Vanessa will be in a big bad funk <laughs> <laughs> and Mallory's like triplets come here yes let's just break it I can't I can't stand the more rhyming I just love that it's Byron Jordan Adam come quick bring a hammer and a wrench and you could I could actually just imagine their faces lighting up <laughs> yes I like to imagine that um they didn't necessarily know what she wanted but they were like no just bring tools it's fine this sounds like an opportunity for smashing things I don't know what's happening but it's gonna involve destruction and I am in yes they're on board for it. I imagine that they just have these tools lying around in their bedroom. They didn't like go to the understairs <laughs> cupboard to get them. They, they're just lying around their bedroom as manly decor, basically. Their dad has to go find the tools every time he actually wants to do some DIY. Are the Pikes... So Pike... Mrs. Pike shows up every now and again in this mm-hmm. book, but we don't see Mr. Pike at all. I... Like, wouldn't it be good for Mallory to request that the parents who possibly have used tools before might do this more delicate task if she doesn't want the trunk wrecked or Mallory doesn't have a lot of time for her parents I think (laughs) yeah I mean I guess they don't show up very often except when they're cooking a terrifying casserole or making weird rules about how she can't wear glittery clothes (laughs) or unfairly refusing to let her get a nose job or contacts (laughs) yes yeah I I think Mallory's just not interested in involving her parents in any aspect of her life. <laughs> so yes, the, the boys turn up with the tools and ask what they need to smash. Uh, they're very excited. <laughs> Mallory has to close her eyes and just listen to all the smashing and grunting noises. Uh, Byron <laughs> threatens to get a crowbar, but uh, fortunately the crowbar is not need. Oh my god, I'm just thinking like, what a 10 year old would do with a crowbar. Like they would do some fucking damage. <laughs> I know, right? Why are they allowed access to the toolbox? I know. It's the Pike House. I know. They're ages in the double digits. It's fine. Yeah, they don't believe in rules. Although I noticed they have some more rules in this. Um, <laughs> like they, one rule. Yeah, they have one rule. That's more than zero. Um, so they get the box open at long last. Um, and they find a ton of old-timey girls' clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, which Vanessa is very taken with. Yeah, she's so inspired by them. And uh, she's like, oh my God. And we haven't seen this side of Vanessa before, really. Um, but she just immediately starts dressing up in all the clothes at yeah. once. <laughs> I think Vanessa's only previous personality has been poetry, though. Yes. Yeah. It's nice to see her having a second interest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> she might be a lot less insufferable if she gets into, like, cosplay or historical reenactment. <laughs> She doesn't, though. I still like the fact that, like, Mallory and, Mallory and Vanessa's bedroom is, like, the literary salon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's pretty good, yeah. Um, so they find um, the mystery diary of the title. Uh, it's a diary by someone called Sophie from 1894. Um, Vanessa is an absolute philistine and is not interested in this at all. What the <sighs> hell? How dare she? <laughs> I know. It seems really unlikely as well, given that she's so into writing, but yeah. I guess... And the clothes. I, I guess, yeah. I guess Anne just didn't want her in this one. <laughs> so yeah. Her, her services are not required. 
Uh, Mallory is all over the diary. Um, she doesn't feel guilty about reading it because Sophie says on the first page that she's 12 years old in 1894. So Mallory's like, it's fine. She's definitely dead by now. I'm going to get all up in this. <laughs> yeah, that's the right attitude. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, then she thinks about how reading is great and reading lets you travel through time and space and meet new people and it's amazing and she's going to be Buddy Barrett's inspirational reading teacher and unlock the world of books for him. Uh, she has definitely seen one of those movies where an inspirational teacher like tutors a poor kid or something and mm-hmm. she's got a very inflated mm-hmm. idea of her own magic. But she reads the diary. No, she doesn't. She, yeah, sorry. My mistake. I misspoke. She takes out the diary, she looks at the diary, establishes that it's a diary, then becomes so inspired that she sits down and writes an entry in her own diary about finding the diary, yeah. having not read the diary yet. <laughs> Implausible. She is very self-absorbed. Yeah. I have done that though. Not like, dear diary, I'm so excited. I found a diary. But I have at times been like, okay, and I've, I've got this new thing that I need to read. I'm going to, I'm going to wait until I can do it properly. Um, especially when it's going to take a bit of decoding and it's not like it's not going to be like I can't just consume it all in one go it's fair okay Karen why do you insist on viewing everyone in a charitable light tonight I don't oh oh, sorry (laughs) maybe it's the wine I generally don't do that you're being so kind and generous hearted I'm a (laughs) non-alcoholic beer and I want to judge everybody okay sorry you you continue like by all (laughs) means she is also very self-absorbed I'm not gonna (laughs) argue with that I I, I just find it hilarious that she's like wow I found an exciting mysterious antique but the really important thing is my inner monologue on the (laughs) subject I mean, I think I can't judge her too harshly because, like, haven't we all been there? (laughs) Did people come here and buy Anne M. Martin's random diary of Sophie, a girl from 1894? Or did we come here to read Mallory's self-absorbed musings on babysitting (laughs) and also a diary? (laughs) Okay, you got me there. As as we've established, Mallory's the only one of them that has any idea she's in a book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, she's just giving people what they want. Fine, I'll let her have this one. Um, so next we see she is um, going around to the Barrett's house to tutor her buddy. Uh, she turns up all smiles, ready to introduce Buddy to the wonderful world of reading. <laughs> oh, Mallory. <laughs> So doomed to failure. <laughs> I know. She is setting herself up for a fall and she gets it. Uh, mm-hmm. Buddy is furious that she has appeared. Uh, <laughs> she tries to be perky. She makes him read flashcards. Um, he hates the flashcards because nobody has ever liked flashcards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I liked flashcards, but I was a very unusual child. <laughs> My kids got a box of flashcards that they um they really liked and they have uh, household items on them uh, and they hid various ones of them around the house in their correct places like sink or toothpaste Aww. or whatever. So I was just holding up to the camera there the one that says laptop, which they put in my in my study for me, which is still oh, here. Okay, that's adorable. That is going to help you, you learn to read, Karen. Yeah, your vocabulary is going to come along leaps and bounds. It is. Oh, that's so cute. Mallory is not having similar success with Buddy and the flashcards. Buddy hates the flashcards. Uh, he hates being made to read. Everyone is miserable. I think as well, like, 
two hours on a day after school is a ludicrous amount of time to assign to an eight-year-old. It's horrendous. For doing extra homework. Like, yeah. Sit down for maybe half an hour and leave him uh, leave him be. Like, it's too much. Ma- Mallory is deeply disillusioned. Uh, the magic of reading has not magically transformed their lives. <laughs> what was I doing wrong? I'd wondered. I thought I would enjoy this. I thought Buddy would see what fun reading could be. Nothing was going as I planned. A cruel awakening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's probably good, though, that that scene is there because, like, yeah, it, if you had the notion that you were going to magically inspire another child to read... Um, yeah <laughs> like <laughs> going about it the way Mallory does is I mean probably the way a lot of people get into education and then yes. also wonder why it doesn't work yeah this book is actually very solid babysitting advice on how to help a kid with their homework and stuff yeah it's not bad like I would I really would have loved to have read this when I was when I was a child because when I was small I taught my little brother how to before he started school I taught him how to do uh, addition and subtraction and how to um tell the time to the quarter hour but I could not figure out how I was supposed to teach someone to read <laughs> like and I spent hours thinking about it like trying Aww. to work out how do you teach someone to read I was just like English spelling is just so irregular like I can't like <laughs> how would I even begin and then I was like I might teach him wrong and somehow mess it up for him when he starts school. So I'll just leave it. Okay. And my mum had like this adult literacy book called Teaching Reading. And she'd been involved in adult literacy stuff when she worked in the libraries. Um, and uh, I remember reading it, but it was all about like not making a 35-year-old plumber feel embarrassed. So I was like, okay, right, this is not Not, not super useful for a four-year-old. No. <laughs> Respect this four-year-old's life experience. Yeah. But I was still like pretty delighted with like the the time telling because like that's impressive. Yeah, I couldn't actually like as soon as I'd managed to teach him that, I realized that he had surpassed me because I still can't actually properly tell the time. <laughs> I know how it works in theory, but I have to sit down and work it out every time. But he got that whole automatic. I see where the hands are. I know what time it is. Thing going on. The pupil became the master. Exactly. I have no more to teach you. Go to junior infants. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. My kid has uh, an encyclopedic knowledge of all the Godzilla movies from the original Gojira in 1956 uh, because he watches YouTube videos with all the Godzillas in them and labels and he can now read them all. It's actually he learned his numbers much faster so he knew those well before he could read so he was yeah. able to work out the years <laughs> so you know youtube is very educational <laughs> thank you for coming to my ted talk <laughs> <laughs> okay so forget about whole word or phonics what we're really looking here for is size comparison videos yes yes <laughs> they're the key to everything and you learn about the different titans from attack on titan oh my god i'm a terrible parent <laughs> I swear he has never watched either Godzilla of any description or Attack on Titan. He has only seen the derivative YouTube videos showing what size they are. It's particularly funny given how extremely conflict averse he is. Like, oh my god. <laughs> we have never seen a whole Disney film without having to pause it because he ran away from fear. <laughs> well, he's all about Attack on Titan and fucking Game of Thrones dragons. Uh, he has also never watched Game of Thrones. Yeah. 
Obviously not. <laughs> it was very, very cute in the car. He was telling me about the dragons in Game of Thrones. And then he said, I actually haven't seen Game of Thrones, but I have seen How to Train Your Dragon Part 1 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're basically the same, right? Yeah. Here's where I am in like the, dra- <laughs> the expanded dragon cinematic universe. <laughs> That's so cute. The main difference is that nobody in How to Train Your Dragon is an inappropriately close familial relationship. (laughs) (laughs) That we know of. Yeah, there's like so little aunt on nephew action. (laughs) (laughs) Also very few murders. (laughs) So few ice zombies, it's weird. (laughs) Also relatively little politics. Yeah, not a t- not a ton about the oppression of the small folk by the warring nobility. And, yeah, you know how it's all ultimately futile because like your crops are just going to get burned either way. Well, not the futility so much, but there actually is a little bit of class warfare in the extended kind of how to train your dragon canon. Um, th- I mean, they had to keep they had to keep adding plot, right? So <laughs> <laughs> eventually, you always end up with class warfare. <laughs> how to train your dragon a marxist reading <laughs> how to train your dragon to seize the means of production <laughs> oh we are so off topic oh my god okay where are we Mallory goes home and finally decides to read the diary to take her mind off her failed attempt to teach buddy the magic of reading sophie has a crush on someone which Mallory is disgusted with <laughs> for the record I love Sophie's handwriting it's much nicer to read than several of the babysitter's handwriting so I don't know what Mallory's complaining about mm-hmm. yes the diary is a massive buzzkill uh, Sophie's mother finds out that she's pregnant um, she has to go on bed rest because she's in delicate health then she dies uh, Mallory is very sad and has to keep sorry hang on she has the baby. She has the baby, sorry. And then, <laughs> and then dies shortly yes. after having the baby. As was the style at the time. <laughs> yeah, yes. Mallory keeps phoning Jessie to update her on this. <laughs> and phones her like a total of seven times until Mrs. Ramsey tells her to fuck off, basically. <laughs> no, she politely tells her to stop calling. <laughs> <laughs> but what she was thinking was... I'm reading between the lines here. <laughs> This is me reading archival stuff and WhatsApping you guys. So I'm sorry if I'm relating a bit too hard to Mallory here, okay? It's okay, we don't have a set bedtime or like homework to do. And also, you're not ringing the family landline. Yes, yeah, that's true. If you rang me seven times in a day to update me on your archival research, I might politely tell you to stop calling. Yeah. My nerves would be ragged. Shot. Yeah. Nobody rings you anymore no. unless you need like emergency assistance. It would be like if you were ringing Rick's phone. Because <laughs> it's the family landline. Hi, Rick. Can I speak to Eva, please? Yeah. <laughs> like, you'll never guess what Sir Walter Scott said now. I'd be so annoyed. I don't want to hear about Walter Scott anymore, okay? Like, it's I could do Why does she keep ringing me? <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, Mallory's a lot. Sometimes I get a what are you talking about if we're not recording and just having a chat and he's in this room. I sometimes glance over and see him staring incredulously at me. 
good. I'm glad we have that effect on your on your husband. The yeah. jokes we make in this podcast are the part of the Venn diagram of Rick's and my sense of humor that does not overlap with his at all. <laughs> well, that's what you have us for. Okay. Did we get any further? We didn't. Oh, we did we? Sophie's mother is dead. Jesse is being gruelingly updated. <laughs> so shortly after Sophie's mother is buried. A portrait of her goes missing from the house of Sophie's maternal grandfather, Mr. Hickman, Mm -hmm. who is wealthy and mean. Uh, Grandfather Hickman accuses Sophie's father, whose name is Jared, of stealing the portrait. I have every historical man in Stony Brook (laughs) is called Jared. (laughs) Yes. It's just, it's what all old-timey guys are called. I mean, they do actually lampshade that further on. Mm, yeah. I thought, doesn't Anne know any other names? And then they speculate wildly about the fact that maybe this Jared is the same Jared as Jared Mulray from Don's house. And then it turns out there's absolutely nothing to suggest that. Um, yeah. It's a total red herring. But at least Anne knows she was uh, making a callback. Why would you not pick a different name? Yeah, I don't know. I re- I was thinking about this and... Like, I know, obviously now, Jared sounds kind of like a modern name, but maybe it wasn't in fashion at all when these books were written and was only old-fashioned, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I could believe that, yeah. I mean, I guess so, but just why did she use the same one twice is weird. Honestly, my assumption is she forgot she used it, she realised she'd reused it, wasn't bothered going back and changing the manuscript and (laughs) just wrote in that scene where they all, like, hung a lampshade on it instead. That'd be incredibly long-winded though like (laughs) cross go back and cross it out she was in a hurry she was churning out 15 books a year at this point (laughs) yeah she had a lot of books to write she probably had word counts to meet why not write a scene that does that (laughs) there's no time to go back and do edits just (laughs) she did the whole thing in one take i ain't convinced by that (laughs) when was find and replace invented (laughs) It was invented by 1989. I mean, editors were invented. Yes, also editors were invented. Dear Susie, in the manuscript enclosed, please find every instance of the word Jared and replace it with Jedediah. Okay, (laughs) thanks, bye, Anne. (laughs) Yeah, there were ways around this, but Anne chose not to take them for reasons (laughs) known only to herself. We'll put them on our list of questions for Anne. I think there's a link there. I think there's meant to be some kind of Ugh. anyway yes <laughs> it's it's inconclusive there's no no real proof one way or the other to be honest yeah yeah jared already had a criminal record and so everybody assumes that he stole the portrait and everybody shuns him and sophie and the baby who is edgar uh grandfather hickman disinherits them um he owns the house that they lived in uh i.e stacy's house and they're allowed to uh, live there, but they're still very poor because uh, the dad can't find work and stuff. And uh, Sophie vows that she will clear her father's name and that if she can't, then she and her father, when they die, they will come back as ghosts and haunt the hell out of everybody in revenge for their unfair shunning. <laughs> Which is an awesome revenge. Yeah. But it is a big promise to make on behalf of your father, <laughs> who may not actually necessarily want to come back and haunt this house he might have other fish to fry after his death. <laughs> it's probably neither legally nor spiritually binding <laughs> she's a minor we don't know the rules maybe it is maybe if so, maybe someone can volunteer you for ghost duties 
cool. (laughs) Maybe he's like, I just want to move on and be with my wife. And she's like, no, we have to piss everyone off for reasons. I'm going to keep Stacy awake at night because I'm angry. Maybe this is why there is no actual evidence of ghosts. (laughs) Because (laughs) Sophie and Jared had a discussion a full and frank exchange of ideas <laughs> posthumously and have decided to move on Sophie we're not doing this I don't even care about the portrait like 98 year old Sophie approaches the pearly gates and someone is like do you know, remember this thing you wrote in your diary when you were 12 and she's like oh fuck what no no I'm not doing that <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of questions about the ghost rules that would only have been in the 70s actually <laughs> yeah. yeah I given the dates and the publication date of this novel i thought we were maybe going to get a peek at baby edgar who is like you know in his 90s now but could yeah. still be alive that's not infeasible but we don't sorry spoiler <laughs> warning <laughs> yeah. edgar does not show up it's not a special they don't have the time to <laughs> go to a fabric shop <laughs> yeah exactly. they, they just don't have the, the 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 page space to devote to this sort of thing <laughs> This doesn't have the budget to introduce an old man character. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. we have a literacy subplot. Yes. We can't have an old man. <laughs> you know, one or the other, but not both. <laughs> Times are tight down at Scholastic. <laughs> Mallory is freaking the hell out. She's very excited. She's not allowed to phone Jesse anymore. She wants to phone Stacy, but it's nearly 10. And she feels it would be poor form to call Stacy at 10 o'clock and scare her with ghost stories. Which is about her house. <laughs> which she's currently trying to sleep in. Yes. Uh, we get a passing mention of the fact that, yeah, the Pikes have now discovered the concept of bedtimes. Uh, some of the kids actually have set bedtimes. I, I guess they're not those yeah. wild free spirits that they used to be. I mean, wasn't it that they had a bedtime in that, like, you have to be upstairs and in, in your, your room and, yeah. like, really don't care whether you're asleep or not? I think I think now they're actually supposed to be in bed. But um, <laughs> so Mallory has to tell Vanessa because she can't tell anyone else. So... <laughs> Yes, they talk it over. They speculate that this this is why uh, Stacy's house was so cheap, because it's haunted as fuck, and not because their siblings are insufferable <laughs> and have no boundaries. <laughs> and yes, she she convinces herself that sure they haven't heard anything about the place being haunted, but that's probably because all the people who moved away in a panic were too embarrassed to admit that they were scared of ghosts, so they made up r- lies about the house needing repairs and whatnot. Um, so the house is definitely haunted. Uh, just you know, the fact that there nobody has ever accused it of being haunted is a minor consideration. <laughs> this is angry pig goes hog wild town. Like, if there was even a sniff of the house being haunted, it would have been in the paper, it, it yeah. would have been in the history books. <laughs> um, so next we cut to Christy is babysitting her little step siblings. Um, we hear about how Christy's grandmother is great because she doesn't seem like a grandmother at all because she has friends and hobbies. Yeah. This says very bleak things about the life of every other elderly person in Stony Brook. Mm-hmm. Like, Christy's grandmother just seems to have a sort of quite normal, active social life. Um, yeah. For a she's a healthy middle-aged woman. Yeah. <laughs> she's fine. Uh, but apparently in 1989, this was like enough to make you like a rebel funky grandma so um (laughs) she's off partying and bowling i quite like 
the description of her car. I don't know if we get it in this book, but in many other books, it's painted bright pink and has a cat tail attached to the boot. So it looks like there's a cat stuck in the boot. Okay, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and they call it the pink clinker. Yes. So it, <laughs> we do yes. we do get pink clinker representation in this. <laughs> don't hear that's about good. the cat tail. That's amazing. No, that's that might hilarious. be I might be remembering that from the Karen books. Uh, because Karen is definitely fascinated by the, the tale and mentions it in every <laughs> single book. Um, standards are slipping at the Thomas Brewer house because mm-hmm. the kids have watched Sesame Street and Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh my God. Not one but two TV shows. Ooh. And later on, Charlotte Johansson watches some TV as well. Like everyone is just degenerate in this book. Ooh. There's a couple of descriptions of parenting, one of which is a, Charlotte Johansson related one that I'm like huh <laughs> I don't really understand this um, huh. I'm interested to get to that yeah well yeah go ahead I think this is the first mention we get of Emily Michelle having a language delay I think yeah. so yeah like it just kind of came out of nowhere uh, Mallory just like narrates to us that em- Emily Michelle's speech isn't coming along great um, so apparently that's now a plot point I think they say um, she asks for a cookie and they're like, yeah, basically, anytime she asks for something, they give it to her because they're very pleased to hear her. Um, I mean, yeah, so it's I think it's also explained that this is sort of to be expected that they're yeah. just kind of working with her, which is good as well. Yeah. There's a lot of like, yeah, literacy and language education. going yes. on in this book. Yeah, this is Anna Martin and her special education background. I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that's something else that was um, maybe gone into in the little sister books a bit more okay because it's yeah it's just Mm. kind of dropped in here like uh very abruptly um though i mean i guess like it could be the sort of thing that like they had that meeting with the doctor about it between the last book and this book and christy's updated everyone because she's like that i mean that would be in the notebook like yeah yeah um yeah it could be in the notebook or like in a Christie book, there'd be a couple of scenes where they're like, Emily Michelle isn't learning as many words yeah. as we expected. Like, that would be kind of more how you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. I just find it kind of weird how abruptly it's dropped in. Fair. So Christie is uh, casting about for something to do to entertain the kids. And she suggests that they go up and explore the attic. Oh. <gasps> Um, which Karen Brewer is not impressed with because the third floor and the attic are haunted by old Ben Brewer, obviously. That feels like a very large proportion of the house that she lives in at least part of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Just be unusable. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they stay in two floors of the house, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. the amount of house that normal people have in their house. Yeah, true. Um, But yes, there's a, a... an entire third floor that's off limits because it's haunted and also the attic. <laughs> um, but Christy is in an attic exploring mood because attics are one of the themes of this book. So up they go. Um, Karen is hoping to find old skeletons. Andrew is afraid of finding old ghosts. <laughs> I would be so excited to find an old skeleton in the attic. That would be the dream. <laughs> it would be amazing. You have a degree in bioanthropology. Yeah. So you'd just be there like... I'd analyse the hell out of it. <laughs> It'd be like all my Christmases had come at once. If I ever find an old skeleton, I will call you before the police. That means so much to me. You have no idea. <laughs> They'll take it away and you won't get a chance to analyse it. So I'll make sure. 
Exactly. I want to see what chronic diseases it had. Just take a bunch of photos anyway. <laughs> of course. I'll do that too, because I'm also a photographer. I have a lot of things going on here. <laughs> so they head up. Um, the kids are a bit scared, except for David Michael, who brightly announces that he's definitely not afraid of headless ghosts because a headless ghost couldn't even see you. And I love his unassailable logic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's also a bunch of adorably archetypal attic crap in their attic including a brass dolls bed with two ancient looking dolls nestled in it which uh mm, that's creeptacular yeah i don't Ooh. like that at all <laughs> i would leave at that point <laughs> then they can't find david michael and they freak out and karen is worried that morbid of destiny has abducted him uh, <laughs> or cursed him and she's cursed him with ghosts and david michael is just hiding in a wardrobe and it's fine and Anne had a word count to make. <laughs> yeah, this is the second of three attic scenes in this book. There is definitely some word count being padded. Um, I mean, actually, creepy, dusty attic crap is a pretty good way of doing that. If yeah. you must. Oh, yeah. It's grand. Um, but this book is definitely sponsored by Big Attic. We <laughs> <laughs> get a lot of Velux window ads actually watching YouTube. So maybe they're, <laughs> they know I've been reading this. There you go. Next, the... Girls are back at a meeting. Um, they have to pay their club dues. Everyone whines. We get a super weird superstition from Jesse. Um, so they get a few calls and then there's like a lull in the conversation and they all fall silent. And Jesse says that it must be 20 to 6 because silences are almost always at 22 or 20 past the hour. I've, I've heard oh. that. Really? Really? Yeah. Uh, this was completely new to me. I've never heard that. I definitely was earnestly told that by someone when I was in primary school. Now, God, it could have been someone who'd read this book <laughs> and got it from this book, huh. for all I know. But I definitely have heard that. And I think I've heard it in more than one place. Also, I've literally just Googled silence at 20 past and 22. And Snopes have an article on silence falls a conversation at 20 past the hour. <laughs> Does an inexplicable silence invariably strike group conversations at 20 past the hour? Ooh, ooh let me guess. It's not true. <laughs> Unconfirmed. <laughs> Apparently it was mentioned in a 1948 book about superstitions. From this book, this idea is generally accepted by superstitious Americans and is purely American in origin, going back to a legend which has grown around Abraham Lincoln's death. For those who believe that the great emancipator died at 20 o'clock, he didn't apparently. Uh, a sudden silence is supposed to occur automatically ever since through some supernatural agency. That would be so many silences. I know. A uh, related theory asserts that human conversations lapse into silence every seven minutes. <laughs> I mean, only the bad ones. I think they lapse into silence uh, depending on how often you run out of shit to talk about. Yes. Every seven minutes. Anyway, there we go. But at least we know that the superstition is real. It's at least several decades old by the time Jesse says it. And uh, okay, completely inexplicable. <laughs> yep. So very... Clearly disprovable, yes. as Jesse found out. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a skeptic heavy book. <laughs> it is. Mallory is she she updates the girls on what she found in the diary, and she has decided that if Stacy's house is not haunted, that means that Sophie managed to clear her father's name and their spirits are resting. And if Stacy's house is haunted then there's still a mystery to be solved and they need to clear his name. And Christy is like, or how about if Stacy's house isn't haunted, that means ghosts aren't real. 
but nobody's yes. interested in that. No. <laughs> yes, but that's the boring theory. Christy is no fun in this. Or that just the, the spirits are not actually that concerned about the fucking painting. <laughs> yes. Or that Stacy's been in the house like two weeks at this point and maybe they just haven't got round to haunting her yet. They haven't geared up. <laughs> exactly. Well, they might have other things to do sometimes. Stacy does say that sometimes she hears noises, uh, but her mom says that it's squirrels or the wind. And once she saw something white at the foot of her bed, but it was just some moonlight, uh-huh. <laughs> which apparently they don't have in New York. New York. <laughs> so yeah, Christy um, attacks the whole situation with her logic and says that why don't they try and solve the original mystery anyway? rather than trying to solve it by proxy by looking for ghosts. <laughs> and everyone's like, well, that seems hard. So <laughs> This is like word for word what happens. <laughs> um, then we get, some, we get some impressive continuity um, because they figure out that uh, Grandfather Hickman might be Old Hickory, <laughs> the guy at whose grave they met Cokie Mason. <laughs> Yes, Marianne's bad luck mystery, <laughs> and I absolutely love that they brought back old Hickory again for this. Yes, I love that how like there were only like five people living in nineteenth century Stony Brook, and all of them <laughs> just come back round. Yep, I'm sure old Ben Brewer was like he was only a recluse because he was hiding in his house, so he didn't have to meet any of these awful people. <laughs> That's it. Then yes, they. They speculate about whether Jared might also be other Jared. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marianne is unconvinced. Um, she says, there are stories about him. Christy points out that they're ghost stories and therefore they're untrustworthy. <laughs> Christy-, Christy is right. And I don't say that very often. <laughs> <laughs> she's right, but she's no fun. <laughs> she is just refusing to play in the space. Like she just will not get on board with this. She is refusing to love the drama. Like yeah. this is mm, one of okay. the rules yep. of the, the babysitters club is you have to live for the drama. She's not living for the drama. <laughs> uh Dawn reckons she should go back and check up a history of Stony Brook with an E on the end and see if she can find any more useful information. It's like a greatest hits. Like there there's just so many details from previous books and I love it. Me too. <laughs> it's very satisfying. Then Jesse suggests that Sophie stole the painting. Uh because Sophie is the person you'd least suspect. Mallory points out that baby Edgar would be even less suspicious. So it must have been him by that logic. And also that uh Sophie wouldn't tell lies in her diary. That's not what diaries are for. If anything, she'd confess in it. Besides, she was too passionate. She couldn't lie so passionately. Um. Uh. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, Mallory just talks out her arse sometimes. <laughs> I hope Jessie isn't taking Mallory's, like, <laughs> word as gospel here. I don't think so. I think Jessie... Knows that Mallory talks out her arse. Jesse is quite clear-eyed about that. Yeah. yeah. Imagine going through your life thinking, if it's passionate, it must be true. <laughs> Mallory is in for some disappointments. Either that or she's right now glued to Newsmax. <laughs> oh, God. I guess Jesse, as the stage performer of the group, is the most conversant with the notion that acting exists. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Mallory's a writer and this is a diary. 
Diaries are not fiction. Oh my god. Yeah, diaries are where you're sincere, they're where you pour out your honest hopes and dreams and mm-hmm. sincerity and passion. No, they're where you lie to yourself about who you actually are as a person. Yeah, I mean, really yeah. Mallory should go full gothic <laughs> with this and decide that Sophie had two personalities and that she, you know, didn't know what she was doing while well, she stole the painting and you know, she needs to like Wilkie Collins this. <laughs> yes. Sophie was off her face on opium the whole time. Sorry, spoilers for the moonstone. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Is this a spoiler for another babysitter? Story? <laughs> Is there an opium heavy subplot in something? Yes, it's a gritty reboot. <laughs> gritty 19th century reboot. So Mallory goes back to Buddy's house and she has had a brainwave. Um, she decides that since the flashcards aren't very fun, maybe Buddy might have a better time if you read something that he might actually enjoy. Shocker. <laughs> uh, so she brings a bunch of Archie comics, which I would make fun of for being like Anna Martin talking about stuff from her youth again. But um, me and my brother fucking loved Archie comics in the 80s and 90s. Oh, I fucking loved Archie comics as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they were... They were delightful at the time. <laughs> yes. Were they, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I, I read some Archie comics, but I probably read them when I was a year or two too old for them because I had no interest in reading about teenagers when I was actually young enough for this, like, how they were written. Yeah. And I just can't imagine, and it was the mid-90s, so maybe they were a little different in the, the late 80s, early 90s, but I was just like, why would an eight-year-old boy give a fuck about this? <laughs> They're not like teen drama. No. They're very light comedy. Yeah, yeah. true. I guess. Um, there, there are lots of puns and ridiculous circumstances and explosions. Like it's not, yeah. it's it's a, it's pretty good. Like I'd actually say that's a pretty good um, bang for your book in terms of it's a comic, but you also have to actually read the text. Yeah, it's fair. As opposed to certain things where, like, probably there are comics that are better art, but that the the writing is less important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, it's it's an extremely good idea that Mallory has had. Like, this oh yeah, extremely good choice of material. <laughs> a suspiciously good, yes, <laughs> idea. Although then she panics because she's worried that. Maybe Mrs. Barrett doesn't let her read her kids read comics because some parents don't. In the Pike House, they're only allowed to read comics as long as they sometimes read some books as well. So now we have two rules in the Pike House. This is a fucking police state. <laughs> also, like, my first introduction to the notion that anyone would, like, not want a kid reading comics was that episode of The Simpsons where Bart goes to, like, the gifted school <laughs> and is like, oh, thank God, and starts reading a comic, and the teacher is like, oh, yes, that's from our project on illiteracy. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I when I whenever I watched that, I was young enough that I was like, I don't get it. And my mom was like, oh, yeah, there was a lot of fuss about, like, comics in the, like, 60s. <laughs> that, like, yeah. they were rendering children illiterate because yeah. they just stared at pictures all day now. They're satanic and... I don't think it was even that. It was just like concerns that they, like, literally children were less literate because they were reading comics instead of, um... Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I it, it was, it wasn't a religiously based moral panic. Uh, okay. I was about to say it wasn't a moral panic, but, um... I think there also was a religiously based moral panic, but... Wasn't yeah. there about fucking everything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, I was I was filing this under um the same issue that Anna Martin has with TV. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Pop culture is very suspect. Uh, mm. But yes, Archie Comics get a pass. So they read Archie Comics together for a while and then they draw their own comics and Buddy enjoys that. And Buddy is now having a great time. He has discovered the magic of reading TM. And now he's basically fine. Yeah, now he's basically fine. He's got yeah. a crush on Mallory, but she decides that she can leverage that to make him more literate, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, in fact, so psyched about reading that when he's supposed to have free time at the end of the tutoring session, he uses it to begin his reading homework. <laughs> now, it does say that Mallory reckons he did that because she was there and would help him with it. But, you know. Well, maybe. The thing I have marked here is, like, that she was when she was worrying about like maybe he's not allowed to read them. One for maybe his teacher doesn't let the class read them. Like <laughs> I was like, I was an extremely obedient child. And if my teacher had tried to tell me that I wasn't allowed to read certain things at home in my own <laughs> fucking house, I would have been outraged yeah how are you gonna know and even if you do know like what are you gonna like what why do you think you can stop me it's not your jurisdiction (laughs) yes absolutely like you control what i do when i'm in this shithole of a classroom (laughs) you don't control me when i go home my parents control me when i go home they let me read comics yeah my senior infants teacher told us we weren't allowed to watch teenage mutant ninja turtles at home because it was too violent. Oh, for God's sake. And I also was a very obedient child. And even I was like, I don't think she's going to be able to enforce that. So I'm going <laughs> to keep watching Turtles. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think she knows what I watch at home. Who's going to snitch on me yeah. about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, in fairness? Yeah, or I think I would have been a bit more like, I believe that is my parents' decision. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. I think a lot of kids would just be like, oh, well, maybe I can't then because my teacher says no. And like, <laughs> I don't think so. Like if Esther and I were both like, nah, mm. about would be like that, about that kind of thing. Like ordinarily, yeah, with anything else I would have. But I, apparently there was a line and this was where I drew it. <laughs> I mean, anything a teacher said to do when I was in school or to do with my homework or whatever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm. I wouldn't question it. It might make me cry, but I wouldn't question it. (laughs) But, like, I was very, very clear that there was a jurisdictional issue here. Yeah. And that your teacher didn't get to decide what you watched on television or what you read or whatever, like, Mm. for leisure. That that was your parents. I think Mallory worrying about this is by way of babysitting advice. Yeah. Like, Mm. make sure that whatever reading material you bring is not something that your kid will get in trouble for. Yeah, that's fair. Oh no, it's yeah. good babysitting advice. I just think it's weird that the teacher was brought into it because that's like... If, if that was the teacher's policy, then the teacher should be ignored. Exactly. Like, that. that's completely irrelevant. The only relevant person here is Mrs. Barrett. I would also just like to, again, side out the quiches because mm. <laughs> Mallory has figured out what they haven't figured out, which is that it doesn't matter what Buddy's reading as long as he's reading and enjoying reading and let Claudia read Nancy Drew. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Justice for Claudia. The other thing in that chapter, when they draw their own comic, 
So Buddy has clearly never seen a comic book before and he's read some Archie. And by the time he draws his own comic, he understands enough about like how comics work to do pows and zaps and blast offs <laughs> and like those. Mm. I can't even remember. There's a word for like the action letters and stuff. And yeah, he, yeah he, he, he just knows how those work. Maybe he's watched the 60s Batman show. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So next, um, Mallory decides that they're not getting anywhere with the mystery. Don can't find the Stony Brook with an E on the end history book. So they've hit a dead end. So the only logical way to proceed is to have a seance and interview Sophie personally. <laughs> I love this. I may have actually clapped when I got to this point in the book. Somebody asks about what a what a seance is. Oh, the best line in the book. Yeah, Christy. Yeah, it's when Christy says, it's when a person wearing a turban on her head goes into a trance and the voice of George Washington comes out of her mouth. Then she collapses on the table from the effort of it all. (laughs) And Mallory is like, no, that is not what a seance is. (laughs) And gives an actual definition of a seance, which is very good and clear, I have to say. Although Mallory later admits she's just seen them on TV. (laughs) Yeah. She has no real world experience. So Christie's is comes from like at least as good of a source as Mallory. <laughs> yes. Christie thinks it's a stupid idea because there's no such thing as ghosts because apparently she just didn't read the ghost at Dawn's house. And Christie is just the anti-crack. <laughs> you know that line from The Simpsons where Flanders says that science is like a loudmouth who spoils the end of the movie, and there are some things we don't want to know, important things. <laughs> <laughs> Christy is that loud <laughs> now I remember being with a bunch of girls probably a year or two older than this lot in an old um, abbey or monastery the ruins of one Ooh. up near our house uh, up near where I live we'd all cycle our bikes out there and I remember the one like hardcore sceptic among us was it you? Blankly, no, it was absolutely not. Have you not noticed that even, like, I had not a sceptical bone in my body as a child. Did I just say I just got every single real-life paranormal book out of the library as a teenager multiple times? Okay, fair enough. Um, no, 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 not me. Uh, one of our number, though, was absolutely just like this brick wall of, like, imperturbability, while the rest of us were, like absolutely convinced we'd seen the ghost of a monk and like screeching and Uh, yes the ghost of the monk yes clutching each other and terrified and yeah ah you gotta love the drama that's the rule of being a teenage girl yeah i know like christy is just not entering into the drama of it at all yeah i feel like christy maybe sort of believes but is putting on a, a skeptical face to like um make it seem like she doesn't that would be more fun yeah. than, than Christy just being no crack. Yeah. Let's, let's go with that. Christy decides that she wants to be the channeler. Yes, I love that. Um, Yeah, Mallory versus Christy, like, <laughs> battle of the mediums. <laughs> yes, Mallory <laughs> wants to be the channeler because it's her idea. But uh, she's aware of what a force of nature she's dealing with. And she's like, oh, fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, all right. I'll come, Christy said, but only if I can be the Chandler. Christy the Chandler? This was my mystery and my idea. I wanted to be the Chandler. One problem with being 11 and having a lot of 13-year-old friends is that you have to give in to them pretty often, especially when someone like Christy is putting her foot down. 
Sorry, I have the hiccups. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, I was surprised that Christy is like, oh, I don't believe in it. Oh, okay, yeah, but I'm going to take the main role. Yeah, it's actually not that like her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, take the main role is, but like not out of spite. Yeah, normally mm. she'd take the main role because she came up with the idea in the first place. Yes. Maybe that's just not allowed. Then... Christy does a problematic... Oh, it's so problematic, yes. Yeah, Christy dresses up in a stereotypical outfit representing an ethnic group. And the less said about this, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just gonna, like... Acknowledge it and move on. Move past this and say, this should not have happened, uh, nor should it have been treated as a joke. However, that's there in the book. Anyway, skipping that, Christy walks in and is all like, great seance time, where's the potato chips? <laughs> Do you know, if if anyone's gonna be super, super problematic to the point of cancellation, it's Christy. <laughs> yes. In this group. Like... Most likely to be cancelled. <laughs> I would have said Stacy, Just because she's so, yeah. Mm. I mean, I suppose she at least should have a slightly more diverse... Cosmopolitan worldview. Yeah, cosmopolitan worldview maybe not though like probably but i think okay so what i think is i had no opinion on this until you said that and i decided i disagreed with you i'm so sorry Um, (laughs) (laughs) so what i think is that like christy if someone went hey christy like what you've just done isn't okay and here's why would be horrified. Like, she is absolutely going to go ahead and say whatever comes into her head in the first place. And if someone then explains why that's not cool and harmful, she would just be like, oh, no, um, and would try to, to sort that out. I think mm-hmm. Stacy is the sort of person who would double down and say, but I can't be racist. I'm from New York. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Stacy has definitely said that exact sentence at some point. Yeah. Not on screen, but like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My favourite babysitting charges are black. I've mentioned it in this book already. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, yeah, that would be Stacey. Actually, I think Stacey did have a whole I don't see colour line. Oh, God. oh, yeah, she was like, I just think of them as people, not black. <laughs> like, Why are we talking about this? Oh, my God. Yeah. God. Sorry. Anyway. So Christy the medium. <laughs> Christy the medium is not allowed to have snack food until after she's channeled the dead. Uh, because <laughs> and she's not happy about yes, this. The proprieties have to be respected. They close the curtains, uh, light some candles to set the mood. They hold hands. Christy pretends to channel Sophie and then announces the painting never disappeared. It was hanging where it always hung. But Grandfather Hickman, God rest his soul, lost his glasses and just thought it had disappeared. (laughs) And Mallory's like, really? (laughs) Mallory needs some guile, (laughs) urgently. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, the seance is a failure, but at least they have potato chips. Uh, Yeah, Mallory is like, well, I was a bit annoyed, but... Then again, I also wanted snacks, so we we <laughs> no nobody actually wants to talk to the dead. No, I don't no. think so. Then yes, Stacy goes to babysit Charlotte Johansson. The Johansons are real chill because they don't mind Stacy and Charlotte sitting on the living room floor and hanging out. Yeah, what the hell is that about? Yeah, this is one of the parenting things that I have 
flagged. Like, that makes no sense to me. We have clearly seen many houses in which the children have the complete run of the living room. Yeah. Uh, and there are, there's juice under the, uh, this is the Barrett's thing, <laughs> But, um, like, yeah, there's, the living room is a room that you do stuff in. Even the Delaney kids were allowed to sit in the living room. Is it the floor? Is it the sitting on the floor is uncouth and not the sort of thing that would normally necessarily be allowed? I guess. Like, I sometimes think Anna's coming from stuff from, like, a really, like, stuffy 1950s perspective. And that's all I can think of there. But, like, if you think of, like, Leave it to Beaver era stuff, weren't the kids lying on the living room rug watching TV anyway? Yeah, like, children sit on the floor. It's what they do. Sometimes you do a puzzle on the floor or something if you need a big amount of space or... Yeah. Not that reprehensible. Yeah. There's no mud down there. You're not going to get walked on. <laughs> yeah. I don't... It's okay. <laughs> ...really understand it either. No, that 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 puzzled me as well. Yeah. It is baffling. Um, This is totally a filler chapter. Charlotte has a long convoluted theory about how the mystery is solvable <sighs> because it's impossible to commit the perfect crime and someone knows something and there's probably a clue that they've overlooked. It takes a whole chapter to express this concept. <laughs> I was genuinely disappointed by the writing in this chapter. Mm. I was like, this is the worst written chapter in the babysitter <laughs> book, books to date. Um, because you have literally just Stacy explaining the book so far and randomly wise child coming out with the incredibly profound statement that, you know what, Stacy, things aren't always what they seem to be. And Stacy then <laughs> spends the rest of chapter going away and mulling this over yes (laughs) like the most unspecific advice (laughs) that is i guess theoretically useful but only insofar as it's useful in every single thing you might do on a daily basis (laughs) (laughs) yes sometimes facts are not initially obvious mind blown and it's also not it's kind of relevant to the denouement but it's not useful in a specific way no no cracking the case no i'm like why did you give this to charlotte because she's smart she skipped a grade i just i was so annoyed with this chapter i was like oh come on guys yeah i i think this this book has too many gratuitous babysitting chapters yes (laughs) this one could have been cut anyone else could have had these like three lines of dialogue i mean there was the classic anna martin book recommendation and prescriptivism yeah <laughs> so that's nice but what what bit was that specifically well the katie and the sad noise book uh by ruth stas gannett is it a newbie award winner it doesn't specify <laughs> we can assume so but it it was a short it was dr johansson's book when she was a little girl so i'm guessing that it was in fact one of anna martin's favorite books from when she was a little girl um, Yes, and we also get informed about the age range it's for because Charlotte says she's too old for it now, but she still likes it. Okay, <laughs> I did actually have a different book by Ruth Stiles Gannett as a kid called My Father's Dragon, and I read and reread it even when I was definitely too old for it because I did really like it. It was nice. a delightful okay. book. Nice. And the prescriptivism is when Stacy corrects, "Can I read it to you?" To may I read it to you? Yeah, fuck, fuck off, off. Stacy. That's not even a grammar thing. That's a literally a. 
stupid politeness rule that nobody uses anymore. Yeah. It's that thing teachers do when you say, can I go to the toilet? And they say, I don't know, can you? And then you just pee on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I had a horrible sarcastic teacher in fourth class and he was always say that he wasn't our doctor if we said that. Oh, fuck off. I was, why didn't you just make us ask an Irish like a normal person? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 12 sucks. Yes, it does. <laughs> then Mallory is back at the Barrett's house. Uh, she's, she's got more book recommendations for us. Uh, Buddy Barrett is reading Encyclopedia Brown mm. uh, so that he can do more reading and learn the concept of solving mysteries uh, because there's no way Buddy could have grasped that idea without having a good book as an example. He has levelled up so fast that I have to assume the implication is that Buddy was really disenchanted with the whole process of reading and it wasn't fun and it was putting him off. Yeah. And now he's actually found stuff that he's enjoying. He can, you know, make... Apply himself. He can apply himself. (laughs) (laughs) As though he was a glue stick. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yes. Uh, There's no other explanation for how swiftly Buddy has turned into... Like a, an avid reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Buddy continues to astonishingly level up because no one tells him the mystery of the diary. He wants to have a go at solving it himself. So she takes him around to her house to read the diary, and he's so damn motivated that he can read old timey misspelled cursive and complain about Sophie's bad spelling. She's like, "You can read cursive," and he says, "Yep." <laughs> now that I have questions about I like I assume Sophie's handwriting is really good but yeah no (laughs) I mean we've seen it it's it's pretty curly like it's not bad but it's very fancy Mallory said it was hard to read but I find Jessie's much harder so oh Jessie's illegible (laughs) yes because they have actual grown-up curse curse of like old ladies and it's Really hard to read. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I found Sophie's handwriting a lot e- easier, but yeah, it would not be accessible for like a small kid who had until very recently been struggling with reading anyway. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't Mallory just read it to him? That would have been fine. <laughs> I know. Yes, it would. The miracle of literacy, that's why. He's disappointed that he was not able to find the solution by rereading the diary. Uh, Mallory's like, yeah, well, neither did the rest of us when we reread it, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> but I'm a white male. <laughs> Why isn't real life structured like an easily <laughs> legible mystery story? <laughs> there should be a clue. I feel that way too, though. And then... And then, yes, he wants to have another look in the trunk and he digs around. Through the power of white male mediocrity, he does unlock the secret of the of the trunk. <laughs> That's true. I blundered into it (laughs) Buddy Barrett is by no means the worst of the the terrible small boys so no I'm not I'm not being mean about Buddy Barrett I'm willing to let the triplets be like our whipping boy for the patriarchy but not Buddy Barrett (laughs) Buddy Barrett didn't actually do anything no he didn't do anything I'm sorry (laughs) he's just emblematic of the whole thing (laughs) it's not his fault that this trunk is badly carpentered (laughs) got his hand stuck in a hole maybe she needed a small hand maybe like Mallory and Vanessa's hands are too big to get stuck in the hole (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picturing they have like huge ham hands now (laughs) they need Donald Trump to come in and rub around in the trunk 
curse these huge pike hands. <laughs> Even Claire Pike can't get her hand in this hole. Hands like shovels. <laughs> hands like Jack Reacher. <laughs> Fists like Christmas turkeys. Designed for punching, not for <laughs> detecting. <laughs> oh. Jack Reacher just punches his surroundings till the clues fall out. <laughs> okay, it's now canon that all the bikes have grotesquely oversized hands. <laughs> and we're all going to forget the context for this instantly and just remember that they have huge hands. <laughs> They've sent Buddy in like a Victorian child in a factory with his tiny hands. He can... <laughs> Find clues. <laughs> the Victorian detection factories. <laughs> yes. So he, he has found the important clues, which are just really conveniently tucked away at the bottom of the same trunk that has the diary in it. Okay, I'm sorry, but like, she tries so hard to make it plausible that all these things are in the same place. <laughs> but it makes, it makes no fucking sense. No. It just... It it I'm I'm just I'm not okay with like <laughs> how this mystery is explained. No, look, there's a reason she didn't go into like writing detective novels. Yeah, yeah, she just she just needed a story, and she didn't need it necessarily to like make sense. Logically, make sense. <laughs> it only had to make enough sense to satisfy a ten the like the ten year old audience. And I think this would have made enough sense to satisfy me at the age of 10. Okay, so Buddy asks the question, how did this trunk with Old Hickory's confession in it, which is, sorry, that's the clue that he's found, is a crumbling confession in which Old Hickory conveniently writes down what happened to the painting. In great detail. In great detail. (laughs) How did this trunk with Old Hickory's confession in it turn up in the attic of Sophie's house with Sophie's diary and clothes in it? I frowned. Good question, I said. Maybe when Old Hickory's nephew inherited the mansion, he moved some things he didn't want over to Sophie's house. Old Hickory owned that house too. The trunk was probably half empty and the nephew just dumped some stuff into it. But the the clothes and the diary all belong to Sophie. Yes. There's no indication that there's two, like, layers of stuff belonging to different people in it. Why? Why was there a big pile of Sophie's clothes? Like... All in one place, stuck in this trunk in the attic. I thought that the confession was actually in, like, a secret compartment. Yeah, the confession is tucked into the trunk, and that part is fine, because the trunk is old hickories and whatever. It's just all the other stuff. So, your man is like, alright, I'm gonna move some stuff from the mansion to the small house. Or maybe he's like, I need to tidy up the attic in the small house. The tenants want to put their used bedstead in it. (laughs) <laughs> and he under birdcage so he's like oh this trunk is empty because he doesn't know that there's a secret thing I'll just like oh yeah there's stacks of st- maybe there was just like untidily stored stuff or like a dresser or something with Sophie's clothes and diary in it and he was just like I don't know maybe those will be useful or valuable or so- I don't know I'm going to put them in the trunk and they can take this big old dresser out of the attic Maybe, but you know what? We shouldn't have to be doing this yeah. much work to make this make no. sense. No, and also it's presented to us as this is the explanation. Yeah. 
But the explanation doesn't explain. No, it does not. <laughs> this is just Mallory like bullshitting. And it's as it's, much as we are. It's not like, you know, oh, there's a bunch of stuff and I guess we'll never understand it. It's like, no, this is a real specific configuration of stuff that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Why yes. did you put it like this? <laughs> Why didn't you put them in different places where you could like send them down the local Stony Brook archives and have them find like <laughs> oh there's some papers here which are marked Old Hickory's Confession do you want those? <laughs> yes thanks we'll have a look at this <laughs> yeah what what happened in, in Old Hickory's Confession is that he was so upset about his daughter's death that he had an itinerant painter paint over the portrait of Sophie's mother um, so that it would be in the house but he wouldn't have to actually look at it uh, but then he was so embarrassed at having done this that he told everyone <laughs> that the painting had gotten stolen and everyone decided it was Jared and Old Hickory just let everyone believe that there's just some complicated <laughs> psychology yeah. going on here <laughs> but he sucks <laughs> this is such a shitty thing to do yeah. Like, so yes then his uh, son-in-law and grandchildren Got to live in poverty and shame forever. There's no way of honouring your deceased daughter, like, condemning her, like, surviving family (laughs) to opprobrium. I know, right? She'd be so proud. Yes. (laughs) That's just exactly what she would want. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) There's a reason this guy was remembered decades later as a total dickhead. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. So yes, uh, on his deathbed, he wrote this lengthy, detailed confession uh, and somebody hid it in a secret compartment in a trunk and then there were some clothes thrown in on top and then the trunk was left in Stacy's house and it all totally makes sense if you don't look at it too hard, okay? Mm, no, really, really don't look at it too hard. <laughs> With his granddaughter's diary, his estranged granddaughter's diary was yeah. also in there. That Absolutely, that's... The only logical thing to store it with. Can I just read the next little bit where Mallory has worked all this out and she has rung Stacy to tell her about it? Um, We've just missed one point that Buddy Barrett makes. Oh, yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is that he points out that while old Hickory's nephew was moving all the crap over to Stacy's house, he might also have moved an old painting over. Dun, dun, dun. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Yeah. So Mallory is like... Stacy, Stacy, and she rings her up and she's like, I told her how, you will not believe what Buddy and I found today. I told her how Buddy and I had come over to my house and Buddy had got his hand stuck and found the confession. Stacy sounded somewhat confused until I told her her theory, until I told her our theory about old Hickory's things winding up in her attic. Then she got the point immediately. The painting, she shrieked. Oh, wow, come over right now. Okay, she did not get the point immediately. (laughs) The point makes no sense. No. Like this is just Anne doubling down to mess with you. Like unless Mallory was literally like, ah, bah, 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 there might be a painting in your attic. <laughs> and Stacey's like, okay, come on over, let's look for it. Well, yeah. we have established that they're all unreliable narrators, so maybe that is what happened. I think I think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. And Mallory's like, Stacey gets me. Unlike that bitch, Claudia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so they go to Stacy's and they look through the attic for paintings. They find many paintings. Mm. They try to speculate over how to tell if a painting has been painted over another painting. What kind of things would an itinerant painter paint anyway? 
Good questions. <laughs> uh, Mallory finds a painting of some ships uh, which have conveniently got a chip off them and you can see uh, a hand pointing out from under one of the ships. A finger with a ring on it, yeah. <laughs> which is a good indication that there is another painting under the painting. Yes. It's a subtle hint, yes. <laughs> Gosh, how very convenient. <laughs> super convenient. Again, this isn't a super special. They don't have time for like forensics. Even the super specials have very convenient archival assistance. Yes. Yeah, but like they actually attempt to do the archival research. This is literally just a kid got his hand stuck and they got incredibly lucky. <laughs> and then the paint fell off. So they found some shit in the attic. <laughs> I do love that Buddy suggests they clean the rest of the ship painting off with turpentine. Uh, <laughs> Mrs. McGill is like, let's not no. do that. <laughs> <laughs> Along with all the babysitting advice, we do get art restoration <laughs> advice, which is don't just lash some turpentine on and hope for the best. <laughs> Mrs. McGill finds a restorer. <laughs> Probably in Stamford. <laughs> of course, Mrs. McGill knows a good art restorer. Like, she's such a fancy New York lady. <laughs> she doesn't. She's just like, there's probably one in Stamford, which is fair. But also, with what money? Yes. <laughs> you don't have a job yet. Maybe she figures, actually, if some of the paintings get restored, she's going to flog them. Yeah. Ooh, she's probably it. actually going to bring a lot of the attic stuff to be valued. Maybe this house is so much cheaper due to the ghosts than <laughs> they had budgeted for. Yeah. That uh, she has a few quid left over for the uh, art <laughs> art restoration and, you know, upgrading the wiring and other <laughs> fripperies. Like Maybe that. she's hoping that if the house is really haunted, she can sell her story to the National Enquirer. Ooh, Fair. or do tours. Ooh, yes. <laughs> okay. They also find an antique magic set in the attic and Buddy Barrett teaches himself to do magic tricks by reading the <laughs> instruction book because he's just a phenomenally skilled reader now. Can't overemphasize that enough. He can read literally anything. As someone who was, at the age of eight, a phenomenally skilled reader for an eight-year-old. <laughs> That's not how magic tricks work. Because <laughs> I was also real fucking clumsy. <laughs> and terrible at following, like, visual guide instructions. Yeah, yeah. there is a lot of, like, fine motor skills. Bad spatial reasoning. Yeah. Like, literacy does not come into it with magic tricks, guys. It just doesn't. I also love that Mallory finds the most cliched attic item possible, which is a dusty music box that plays Waltz of the Flowers. What is Waltz of the Flowers? Oh, I looked it up. It's uh it's that incredibly iconic Fantasia song that do 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 Oh right, yes, okay. With the fairies skating on the pond, it's yeah. that. Gotcha. Um, yes. Uh, now, I don't think I've ever seen a music box that does that. I think they usually do, like, for release. Yeah. Um, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yes, a music box is, like, we have creepy attic bingo. Yes, it should summon a, gr a group of terrifying zombies from the yard. Isn't that what happens? Or is that just, like, <laughs> cabin in the woods? Definitely. It's cursed. Mrs. McGill thankfully takes over possession and restoration duties. <laughs> of the valuable antiques. Of the painting, yes. <laughs> then Stacy. Turns up at the next Babysitter's Club meeting. There's so many meetings in this book. We've yeah. been at like two meetings per book and there's like five meetings in this one. Um, <laughs> so Stacy turns up and she has news from the art restorer. But Mallory is like, wait, don't say any more. Christy will kill us if we hear important news before she does. <laughs> oh my God, Christy. 
I know. <laughs> Christy's not mm. even having to be there to micromanage them now. She's just terrified them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Stacy is just sitting there tensely uh, waiting to be allowed to share her news when Christy finally turns up. Then Marianne and Dawn beat her to it with their news, which is that their parents are going out on their 25th date since getting back together. So the trip man is definitely um, a thing of the past, thankfully. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's more subtle than Sweet Valley and the whole... Um... <laughs> and then they're leading into title of the next book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. On like the second half of the last page. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, there's there's an attempt being made to like weave this in. So it's more seamless. Then Christy is upset that Stacy wants to share her important art news even though it's 5.32 now so Christy verifies that there's no club business and then Stacy is finally allowed to talk oh my god oh Christy they put up with a lot Mallory is a bit of an enabler (laughs) (laughs) yes well Mallory is a bit of a like a suck up I think yeah (laughs) a yes woman (laughs) yes exactly um so the painting did in fact have a portrait of a beautiful woman and um, it must be Old Hickory's daughter after all and this apparently totally vindicates Charlotte Johansson because things aren't always what they seem to be. Great. Uh-huh. Thanks for that. <laughs> Great. Thanks for your contribution, Charlotte. Oh, Charlotte, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yep. Like, that's not even like an Instagram platitude. Like, it's just like, <laughs> why would you make a big deal out of saying that? Why would you even say that out loud? This is literally the entire concept of mysteries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are some facts that were not immediately apparent to us. Let's find them out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put that on a Taylor Swift picture. <laughs> <laughs> some facts were not immediately apparent. <laughs> I feel like Taylor Swift would appreciate that uh, as a yeah. joke. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've all learned a lot about... Um, the nature of information, I guess. <laughs> We've all learned a lot about tutoring literacy. Yes. We sure have. Yeah. Um, so Stacy said she and her mother thought and thought about what to do with the painting and finally hit on the astonishingly original solution of hanging it in the living room. <laughs> they decide that uh, this will satisfy the ghosts if there are ghosts. Uh, there's probably no ghosts, but if there are ghosts, the ghosts should be happy with this. Uh, and Christy's like, lol, ghosts. Then they laugh so hard that Stacy falls off the bed. <laughs> <laughs> lol, ghosts. What? There's probably descendants of this family. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they might pay you some money for that, but never mind. No, no, no. <laughs> Leave it in the house. It's ours now. <laughs> ours and the ghosts'. <laughs> well, I mean, it is theirs. You know, presumably yeah. when you buy a yes. house, you buy it with its contents. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't cleared of valuable antiques before you bought it, that's not your problem. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone at the Stony Brook Civic Centre would help them to find the right home for it if they really cared. But <laughs> It's so well funded. Poor old 99-year-old Edgar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Might like a picture of his or of his mother who yeah. he never met. Like, yes. They should go visit the fabric shop and see if it helps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I always do. <laughs> Tragically, the fabric shop incident hasn't happened yet, chronologically speaking. Yeah, I know. Because that was a much better managed 
archival. Yes. Well, it was all those convenient scrapbooks. It was great. (laughs) I mean, it was still incredibly implausible, but it was less implausible. The more I revisit these books, the more I think it's what put me on my current career path. (laughs) Um, Have you tried doing archival research at fabric shops, Karen? Uh, Can we go to Hickey's and see if we turn anything up? (laughs) Old Hickey's. (laughs) Sometimes I tell myself that's what I'm doing, but in my heart of hearts, I know there are no archives at the fabric shop. Yes, but have you spoken to the elderly proprietors? Yeah, quiz them about their love life. She just wants to sell me lace curtains. <laughs> that's what she wants you to think. Oh my God, are we done with this book yet? Very nearly. Jessie reflects that it's sad that they only cleared Jared's name a century too late to do him any good but oh well (laughs) Buddy rings up to say that he's got promoted to the next level of reading at school and he's going to make it to top level before the school year is over and he read a chapter book by himself at at this rate he sure is going to be at the top level (laughs) he's going to be teaching the class if he keeps going he's going to be writing these books (laughs) yes (laughs) Mallory wants to buy him a book as a present and Stacy reluctantly gives her some money from the treasury but she's not happy about it. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> Everybody laughs because Stacy is to- so tight-fisted. So yes, that was that was that book. Um, that was Ma- what was the name of this? Mallory and the Mystery Diary. Uh, Karen, before we revisit your diary, which we're very excited to do. Oh God, yeah. Would you like to tell us? If everyone was terrible in this. Uh, no, everyone is a little idiosyncratic. Um, Old Hickory is terrible. Yes. Pretty much everybody else is fine. Yeah. Christy's a bit of a pain, but... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, y- yes. Okay, sorry. Christy's uh, performative um, <laughs> racism. Ignoring the incident. <laughs> Ignoring the incident. I don't think we should ignore the incident. I think the incident is pretty terrible. Yes. Christy is terrible, unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah. So many, how many books have uh, been like that? Uh, and historically speaking, Old Hickory is terrible for completely unrelated reasons. Everyone else is largely fine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even the triplets in this uh, yeah. do what they're commissioned to do and go away, which they, is the best you can hope for. They smash things and fuck off. It's fine. Yeah. The going away at the end was, you know, <laughs> like, yes, more of that from you, please, triplets. That's the salient point. <laughs> we don't get a lot of fashion in this. We've got all, a lot of outfits in the 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 description of the first meeting. Yeah. yeah uh, everyone's yeah. clothes gets described. I don't highlight them because I never highlight outfits, sorry. Uh, that's all right. We get a, a general description of Claudia's wild clothes. She would never get arrested by the fashion police. She wears long baggy sweaters, tight leggings, dresses with flared skirts, little ballet slippers and wild jewellery. Uh, all of which sounds very nice and totally unremarkable. <laughs> My main question with that is why is Fashion Police capitalised? <laughs> That's an excellent question. It's not a real agency. It's fine. I remember seeing multiple references to the Fashion Police reading these and assuming it was a real thing <laughs> that I just wasn't au fait with and I just moved on from it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we do have one another meeting where there's lots of outfits. Um mm. Jessie is wearing a long heart-covered sweatshirt over her dance leotard and a pair of pink pants that, although you couldn't see this, I knew were held up at the waist with a drawstring. Is this another invisible infraction that 
it is stuff that's really normal now, but was terrible back in the 80s if you were Anna Martin. I guess. It's like, yeah, she's wearing sweatpants. It's... <laughs> It's fine. I mean, were was it sweatpants or are they like like non-sweatpant drawstring? I mean, sweatpants aren't held up by the drawstring. They have an elasticated waist and there's a drawstring in it. That's true. Were they actually like trousers made of non-stretch material that have a drawstring? Because wasn't that fashionable at some stage? Yeah, no, you, you could be right. But yes, either way, a drawstring waist did not transgressive and exciting i i interpreted this as jesse was wearing pants that might be the kind of thing you would wear to watch tv in. <laughs> yeah mallory is wearing a big white long sleeve t-shirt that says i heart kids across the front <laughs> i don't know why they sell this sized for kids like she's only 11 herself like i love my peers no adult nowadays should be wearing that t-shirt. <laughs> definitely not no that's true but the only acceptable age to wear that is being a teenager, or like a young teenager who likes babysitting a lot. Okay, point. It's very uh, baffling. <laughs> I'm going to decide that Claudia made it for her with puffy paint. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That's fine. God, Mallory is such an ungrateful <laughs> so-and-so. <laughs> then we get Marianne, who can be pretty funky in her own shy way, was wearing a very cool short printed jumper over a striped shirt. You might think that those two things would clash, but they didn't. They looked great together. That's my story and I'm sticking to it, says Mallory. <laughs> That's very contemporary. Yes. Very Instagram. Ooh, clashing prints. Get lots of attention. <laughs> Claudia called the outfit a fashion risk that worked. Claude herself was wearing jeans, a plain white blouse, a pink sweater, white socks and loafers. She said she'd gone back to the 50s for the day. Stacy was wearing a short sleeve blue and white jumpsuit with cuffed pants. Parts of it were striped. Parts were solid. On her feet were high-top sneakers laced only halfway up so that she could roll the tongue of the shoe down. Extremely cool, says Mallory. Mm, very specific. Very specific. Last but not least was Dawn, sitting backwards in Claw's desk chair. Her outfit was fairly, fairly normal, pants and a baggy sweatshirt, but on her head was a small straw hat. I couldn't believe it. Talk about fashion risks. I think Stacy's outfit was definitely copied in its entirety from a magazine. Yes. Mm. definitely that's all the clothes uh, Mallory has calmed down a lot <laughs> yeah well we all we know the state of everyone's earlobes and that's all that really matters that's true thankfully yes gosh we don't have to go through that again <laughs> so mm. Karen do we have real life diary content okay yeah all right yeah I'll give you some of my uh, my real life diary so I know I had made up this code mm -hmm. to write my diary in and I was like, wow, okay. Um, even though Machiavellian 12-year-old me had put a fake code in the back, mm. I still actually remembered about two thirds of the symbols. So I was just able to recreate it. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, no, it really stuck with me. Um, uh, so I was able to decode the whole thing. Uh, it took me so long though. <laughs> it's just not like reading at all. So I did um, the whole thing last night. Uh and I'm not quite sure why I decided it needed to be encoded. But anyway, here we go. So it's um the 22nd of December, 97. The first entry is, I have decided to go on with my diary in this notebook while I am in Ireland. Since it is rather exhausting to write so much in code, my entries will be shorter than usual. And I was decoding this going, why? <laughs> <laughs> this took me 15 minutes. <laughs> 
An awful lot of it is focused on the fact that, yes, it's writing, it's being written in code. <laughs> okay, finally. The adults, bar dad, are uh, watching Coronation Street over here at Anne and Kieran's. Yeah, there's a lot of like words missing and also misspellings, which would not be normal for me, even as a 12-year-old. It's just that I'm writing in code and I can't see what I'm writing. <laughs> Steffi is at uh, my aunt and uncle's house, staying the night. Uh, Sarah, which is my cousin that Steffi was staying with, returned my book, I Captured the Castle, yesterday. She hadn't read it. <laughs> Esther well knows. This is my favourite ever book. I returned it to my much younger... I lent it to my much younger cousin, apparently, and she didn't read it, and I was very upset about this. <laughs> it seems that the whole aunt and uncle's household is down with stomach flu. <laughs> Dave has it now. <laughs> like, like, I see that... So, they didn't read the book because they had stomach flu, but my sister is currently over there, and that's not an issue. Mm, okay, fair enough. Uh, a very tiring day looking after the other set of cousin dervishes <laughs> and more to come tomorrow. Maybe I should secede from the family so I won't have to do any more babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I always said I didn't do babysitting at this yep. age? <laughs> oh. Okay, so this is the bit where, <laughs> where I get overly dramatic. I have the weirdest feeling that I shall, missing a D, Make a will. <laughs> At the ripe old age of 12, exclamation point. But if I did, I would want my diary to G to Victoria. <laughs> I'll tell her that sometime. I think I've memorized the code by now, so I'll finish this now. Good night. <laughs> it's like, okay, so a lot of this diary is focused on the fact that I'm writing a diary. Yes. It's very meta. I, was like, I don't know why I thought I should write a will thinking back to my mental state at that point in time I was just like wow I just don't want people to be reading this I need to think about my estate planning <laughs> my legacy because it's fucking December in Ireland and it makes everyone feel like they're dying yes yeah it was really also so we we moved from Hong Kong we went to Ireland on what we thought was a quick Christmas trip to spend it with the family uh, and what turned out to be, we actually moved there instead. And we were expecting to move to Australia at that point. And I, I was like, in my head, I was like, well, we're going to be going somewhere, which is really sunny very soon. And then when we weren't, I was like, I'm going to be in this benighted country where there's just never any sunshine forever. Yeah. I, I had a real goth phase around the point in time this happened. I mean, December in Ireland. I get that's like a legitimate reaction. Yeah. It makes everyone think about their will. <laughs> So yeah, the rest of it is is very it's very like this. I just I just the juxtaposition of the care of putting it all into code and it being like my cousin didn't read the book I lent her. People have stomach flu. I don't like babysitting. <laughs> I think I anticipated writing much more like edgy stuff than I actually did because I was decoding it, going God, what's next? And it's all very vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh bless! It's delightful. Oh okay, yeah. So. The the next entry is on the 23rd of December. Um, I'm writing this in the car, so please excuse my messy handwriting. Uh, cousin and other cousin are still trying to kill each other. They were um, like seven and two at that point in time. <laughs> Owen, my cousin, is demanding to know what I'm writing. So progress is slow. <laughs> like, oh my God. Why am I writing about this? I have spent the morning working on 
Grania's this is another cousin of mine Teletubby I remember I sewed her a Teletubby toy because there weren't any available in the shops and she was a tiny toddler at that point Aww. and being interrupted by Anne and Kieran burgling the house it was their house <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it says next the back door lock stuck and I had to let Kieran in through the window so he wasn't actually burglaring his house (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so that's fine the next entry is I literally transcribed the to be or not to be speech from Hamlet (laughs) (laughs) oh amazing in in code and I was like are you serious 12 year old Karen gonna make me decode this whole thing you don't have to it's the to be or not to be strategic spine just pick an occasional <laughs> sentence and make sure. So this is what we all did before the internet came along. This is what we did. Wow. The internet it's... is, on balance, I think, a good thing for humanity. <laughs> yeah. It's it's worth the occasional radicalisation. <laughs> <laughs> the next page is drawings of cats, squiggles, and an eye. So that's fine. Cool. That's fine. Uh, then there's a 26th of December list of... Uh, all the things I got at Christmas, uh, which actually I think I was very pleased with. <laughs> so that's good. It's quite a, a perky entry. Um, it does mention uh, I got a portable CD player from Santa in inverted commas uh, and also Riverdance and an Enya CDs. I've been playing them nonstop. <laughs> you were so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, that was the only bit that I was like, yikes. <laughs> Ooh, I got a dolphin discs voucher too. That's a blast from the past. <laughs> oh wow! Oh wow! Uh, generally, pretty pleased with Christmas. Um, then there's an entry where we went to Claire to visit friends of ours. Um, we drove for ages. Me listening to Kirsty McCall for most of the way. My ears still hurt. <laughs> My God, <laughs> what is this? On the whole, it was an ordinary kind of trip, except mum bought a tape of reggae greats at a petrol station. (laughs) I will burn that in the garden when I get my hands on it, if Steph or dad doesn't beat me to it. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Wow, my hatred of reggae started so young. (laughs) I thought it was my stoner boyfriend when I was 16 that was responsible for that. Yeah, so then it's like, um, in the middle of the book, it resumes as a dream diary, again in code, uh, which indicates that I'm still, it's, there's only one dream in it. <laughs> or uh, I'm, I'm still dreaming about my previous school in Hong Kong, because I was doing a clarinet exam there. And then, so this mean girl that I knew sailed in and said, oh, you're only on that piece. If I played the clarinet, I'd be much further on than you. <laughs> Strong Mrs. Elton vibes. Or not Mrs. Elton, sorry, um, Catherine de Berg. Yes, ex- yeah, 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 exactly. Yes. I don't know that I, maybe I had like read it or see, I probably saw the BBC version at that point. Um, and then one of the boys in the room broke a window uh, the window cracked and the room tilted towards the broken window and started to spin with wind and snow whirling around the room. And at the back of it all, I could hear Mean Girl laughing. <laughs> <laughs> then there's just like other kind of partial dreams and stuff. And then you get to the bit at the end where I put the fake code in. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You're so mad at your young self. I love it. I'm yes. I'm I'm pretty annoyed about that. I'm glad it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That was delightful. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. 
Such mundanity. Such drama. I am very uh, impressed at you, to be honest. Like, my teenage diaries are so cringy that I think I actually just bit the bullet and threw them out. Uh, same. <laughs> because, like, even as I approach middle age, if my parents actually found them and read them, I would just die of embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> Bet you'd wish you'd written them in code and put a fake key at the back. Exactly. Uh, it's like, I don't want these in my house and I also don't want them in my parents' house in case they fall into the wrong hands. I think I'm just going to bin them. I don't want history to know about exactly. this particular face. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't think I committed that stuff to paper, even in code. <laughs> All right. Shall we wrap up this yeah. yes. lengthy, lengthy episode? Oh, God. <laughs> Listeners, hit us up on the social. That's a thing that people say. We've got a Facebook and a Tumblr and an Instagram and the other thing, a Twitter. And a TikTok. No, we, we do not have, have a TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> um, and rate and review us in Apple Podcasts uh, because it makes us very happy and it helps us to reach new listeners. Uh, in our next episode, we will be looking at Babysitter's Winter Vacation, which is super special number three. Ooh. In conclusion, fuck old hickory. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm a terrible parent. <laughs> <laughs>